Well, if you're like me, you need constant reminders, constant encouragement, constant challenges to live the life that the Word of God, Jesus himself, calls us to live. You know, and there's the beginning of a year is always a good time to remind ourselves of, you know, a renewed commitment. And we're not talking about uh, New Year's resolutions. Uh, we're not talking about uh, mustering up a little bit more will of our own, more willpower to maybe eat better or exercise more or to stop participating in some time-consuming activity or to start reading your Bible more, praying more. We're not, we're not talking about those kinds of things. We're really talking about an inward transformation of our lives that happens every day, and it can happen every day. You know, I think of the scripture Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians. He said, the outward man is perishing, and, and in case you haven't looked in the mirror lately, you're dying. Did you know that? All too well. We may not be on our deathbed, but we're perishing. The outward man is on our way out. So we're not talking about making something of ourselves outwardly. Paul went on to say, but the inward man is renewed day after day. It's not just a New Year's resolution. It's not just deciding I'm going to be something better and different this year. It's, it's I'm going to start living my life day by day, allowing the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to transform me. I always need that reminder. I always need that reminder. That's why I'm in the Scriptures daily, is because I need that transformation. We need to be reminded because we often get complacent. We get comfortable. And sometimes we just need to rock the boat or Jesus comes along and allows our boat to be rocked. We need to call to account our commitment to Christ Jesus. We need to know him more intimately, love him more deeply, follow him more closely. And all of us, well, let me say, none of us are where we ought to be. None of us know him as he wants us to. None of us love him as deeply as we should. None of us follow him as closely as we should. But I hope this morning, as we examine some scripture, to see how we can reach higher toward that goal. And these two passages of Scripture in Matthew and John want to show you some similarities that illustrate how we can love Him, follow Him, and know Him the way He wants us to. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 14 and stand with me and we're going to read verses 22 through 33 of Matthew chapter 14. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Now notice in this verse that Jesus made them get in the boat. And if you know the story, you know that they had no idea of what was coming. 
Jesus brought you to this day. He brought you to this new year, and you have no idea what's coming. That's why you need to be here tonight at 5.30 as we talk about how do we face the unknown. As we examine the life of Abraham, when we talk about how do we face the unknown, what can we do? But anyway, Jesus put put him in the boat, and it said in verse 23, And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, uh, you inspired these words to be here in your word. And not only that, you inspired us to hear these words today. Therefore, you have a reason for everybody here today hearing these words. You know the application that everybody individually needs to make. Lord, I don't. So I ask you, Holy Spirit, to do the teaching and the applying that I cannot do. And speak to every person right where they are. In the name of Jesus and for the glory of God. Amen. Today I want to preach a message I preached ten years ago. Actually, 10 years and one day ago, January the 7th, 2007, entitled, Get Out of the Boat. And that's where we find ourselves a lot of time is we're in the boat of comfort and complacency. We're in the boat of safety and security. And God is calling us to get out of that boat. First of all, we need to get out of the boat of fear and doubt. We find here fear can cripple. Fear and doubt will cancel our faith. Faith is knowing and believing in Christ Jesus. Faith is acting on what we know and believe about Christ Jesus. Faith is taking God at His word even when we don't understand it. How do you build faith? Well, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And the Bible tells us we're to walk by faith and not by sight. And yet we learn and we know that too often we live by the things we see. We live by what we see and what we feel. And, but we know that's not right. We know we should be walking by faith, but how do we do that? How do we transition from living by what we see and feel to living by what we can't see and can't feel. 
faith? Well, the Bible tells us it's by the Bible. And friends, if you're not in the Word of God, your faith is weak at best. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Your faith is strengthened, and not just hearing the Word, but obeying the Word, doing what the Word teaches us to do in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, as we were coming to church this morning, we were listening to Crawford Loritz. He just happened to be on 101 uh, this morning. And he was talking about Matthew chapter 7 and the, and the two men who were building two houses on two foundations. And you know the story. One was wise, one was foolish. The foolish man built his house on the sand. And when the rains came and the floods came, then the house was washed away and destroyed. But uh, when the wise man, he built, built his house on the rock, and when the rains came and the floods came and the winds blew, the, the house withstood. And what was the foundation? What was the rock on which this man built it? Jesus compared it to obedience. He said, this man heard the word and he obeyed it. This man heard it but did not obey it. And that's how many churchgoers are today. They think that they have obeyed because they have heard. Well, I went to church this week. I heard the word. I read my Bible today. But it never translates into real life application, real life transformation. It has no bearing on how they live their lives. It has no bearing on, on the decisions they make. It has no bearings on, on the things that they watch on the television or the books that they read or the things that they think or the places that they go. Obeying Him, obeying the Word, obeying Christ leads us to know Him. Knowing Him leads us to trusting Him. Trusting Him leads us to greater obedience, which will lead us to greater experiences with Him. So let me ask you in this account, who experienced more of Christ in this account? Out of those 12 men, who experienced more of Christ in this account? Peter did. But Peter asked the ridiculous. Lord, if it's you, allow me to come to you walking on the water. Now, you're the other 11 disciples, and you just heard this idiot ask this stupid question. What's your response? Go for it, dude. <laughs> Knock yourself out. But Peter experienced more of Christ that day and therefore came to know him in a greater way and was able to trust him for greater things. Why? Because at least he got out of the boat. When the circumstances led others to believe that the boat was the best place to be. It represented safety, some measure of safety. It represented some measure of security. Peter knew by faith the safest place to be was where Jesus is and where Jesus invited him to be. I think Peter got out of the boat because he thought that he would die unless he were with Jesus. Hey, this boat is, is being rocked by the wind and it's being uh, sunk by the waves. 
I better get closer to Jesus because I know he's not going down. It was his faith in Jesus that got him out of that boat, even if his faith was imperfect and incomplete. Listen, there's not a single one of us here that has a perfect, complete faith. It's just not going to happen this side of heaven. We always say, I wish I, wish I had a greater faith, a stronger faith. I wish that my faith were more. But Jesus said, if you just had the faith of a mustard seed, size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be moved, and it would be moved and cast into the sea. If Jesus calls you out of your comfort zone and you stay in it, you're going to miss a deeper experience with him and your faith will not be strengthened, perhaps even weakened through your disobedience. Jesus calls us to get out of the boat of fear and doubt instead of, and to get out of our comfort and our complacency. Sometimes we have to do the ridiculous to, in, in order to experience the sublime. Peter experienced Asked the ridiculous. He, he was willing to do what others thought was stupid and foolish. But he experienced the wonderful joy that no other human being had ever enjoyed. Walking on water and the power of the Holy Spirit. See, there are some things that were places God wants you to walk this year. Places he wants you to go and do and things that he's going to bring into your life. Storms he's going to allow to come into your life. And you're going to need faith to get through those. And, and you will face fear. You will have doubt. But faith cancels fear and doubt. But you fear because of, your, of the feelings that you have. You doubt because of what you see. Faith is, is overcoming the things that we feel and responding in obedience to God's word despite what we see in front of us when it doesn't make sense. Operating by sight will blind us to spiritual truth. Look at verse 26. And when the disciples saw him, that is Jesus, walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a ghost. Now, was that the truth? Was it a ghost? But that was their interpretation, right? We talked about that in Sunday school. Somebody said that the phrase, perception, your perception is your reality, and and, and that's not always true, is it? Their perception was it's a ghost. Was that, their reali was that the reality? No, the truth was it was Jesus Christ. But their sight blinded them to the spiritual truth of who was really before them. Look at verse 30. But when he saw that the wind, this is Peter, when he had been out on the boat and he's walking on the water, he saw by sight that the wind was boisterous. He was afraid and he began to sink. Notice that the disciples were afraid when they saw Jesus because they didn't recognize him. Notice that when Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, that he began to sink and to be afraid. And these instances are a classic case of how living by physical sight, just by what you can see, will blind us to spiritual truth. And because they didn't see through the eyes of faith, they misinterpreted what was happening. Because they didn't see through the eyes of faith, they misinterpreted what was happening. I wonder how guilty I've been of that in 2016 and previous. Misinterpreting what was going on in my life by just what I could see and feel. You see, truth, this is what our Sunday school lesson was on, is not defined by what you can see and feel. 
is defined by who Jesus is. He is the way and the truth and the life, and he's present in every situation that his people face. That's why we're told in Scripture that we're to live by faith, not by sight. Our eyes often deceive us, and we interpret things from the physical perspective that are not the case in the spiritual perspective. We can only (coughs) rightly interpret the spiritual as we live and operate by faith. What is faith? The Bible gives us a pretty clear definition of faith in Hebrews 11.1. 1. He says, faith is the evidence of things hoped for. I'm sorry, it's the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Faith is, is not something tangible. It's not something you can wrap your mental faculties around. It's not something you can touch. But it is faith in something that is real. And that something is a someone. And that someone is Jesus Christ, God the Father, the Holy Spirit. And when we choose to live and operate by His spiritual principles and not by our own feelings, then we'll come to know Jesus as He meant for us to know Him. But we must overcome our fear and our doubt We must operate by faith and not in what we can see and feel, but by the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? Whatever situation you're going to face in 2017, I promise you, I guarantee you on the authority of the Word of God, you will not face anything in 2017 that God doesn't already have something to say about in His Word. You will not. You cannot. He put, he created you. You're made in his image and in his likeness. He gave his word to correspond to his creation. And all of his creation operates within the parameters of his truth. And whatever you face this year, you will find something in his word that can help you. That's why you need to be in the word. Not because it's the thing you ought to be doing. I need to read my Bible every day. You remember my testimony? I've told you my testimony when I was a kid. And we used to have these envelopes where you checked off every Sunday, read your Bible every day, read your Sunday school lesson, you know, brought your offering, brought your Bible, whatever. And man, I was so, I guess, whatever you'd call it, OC. I wasn't, I'm not OCD, but maybe I was then. I don't know. I wanted to have every box checked. And I wanted to make sure I read my Bible every day so everybody could see that I'd read my Bible every day. I put that check mark. And I was so silly when I was really young that if there were seven days in a week, I'd read seven chapters on Saturday night if I'd missed Monday through Friday so I could still check the box. Isn't that silly? That's ridiculous. But aren't you the same? You may not do it just like that, but you have this legality of how you think you're supposed to live because that's what you think pleases God. You're not supposed to read the Bible just because you're supposed to read the Bible. It develops your faith 
your connection to Christ. Who is your life? We need to get out of the boat of self-reliance. See, sometimes we think that that's what makes us approved to God. You're dependent upon your ability to stay connected to God. You're dependent upon your goodness, your acts of holiness and righteousness to keep you connected to God. That's not how it works. We need to get out of the boat of self-reliance. You see, human effort can't get you where you need to be. Human effort, your effort, my effort can't get us where we need to be. I want you to go to the, well, just listen to Mark 6.48. In Mark 6.48, there's another account. This is Mark's account of Jesus walking on the sea. They, Jesus came to them, and he saw them straining and at, straining at rowing. For the wind was against them. What were they doing? They were straining at rowing, and the wind was against them. And in John 6.21, the scripture says, that they were, well, it says earlier that they were not getting anywhere. They were straining at the rowing, and they were not getting anywhere through their rowing. But if you read John 6, 21, it says, They willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. In other words, we can work all day, all month, all year, at our little resolutions and put in all of our effort and we can get nowhere on our own. The Bible, the New Testament says, the flesh profits nothing. Now let's remember that four of these men in this boat were seasoned fishermen and experienced boatmen. They were not unfamiliar with the ways of the sea of Galilee. They were not unfamiliar with how a boat operates in a storm. They knew what to do, and they were doing it to no avail. And it was not until they willingly received Jesus into the boat that the Bible says, John 6, 21, that they got where they were going. Not until we let Jesus into our lives completely and let him be our Lord and our leader in every aspect of our lives, even those areas where you think you know it all. Lord, I don't need any help in this area. I've got it. You don't even pray about those areas anymore because you think you got it. You don't even pray about, about your job and your career because you're so experienced, you've been doing it for so long, you just know how to do it. And then when you do it according to your experience and it fails, you go, what went wrong? Well, you didn't ask the Lord about it. You didn't bring it to Him. You didn't pray over it. It's true in the church life, too. We can think we know everything about church, work. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. But we have to let Jesus Christ be our Lord 
of every aspect of our lives if we expect to get where we need to be. Another reason um, I think Peter got out of the boat in the middle of the stormy sea was, was his desire to be where Jesus was. You know, when Jesus called the twelve, it said, the first thing it said before, in, in Matthew chapter 10, before it says he sent them out, it said he called them to himself. He called them to himself. Jesus' desire was to be with them. And I believe Peter's desire when he got out of the boat was to be with Jesus, to be where Jesus was. Is that your desire? I have to ask myself, is that my desire? Just to be with Jesus. You see, again, let's go back to this Bible reading analogy. Oh, I've got to read my Bible today. It's, you know, I, gotta, I, I want to read my Bible every day. One day the, somebody's going to ask me, did I read my Bible? And I want to be able to say yes. And we, we have a legality. But why really do you read your Bible? Why, why really should you pray? Oh, well, I have all these great needs, and there's so many sick people. They, they're depending on me to pray for them. That's not why you pray. We think it is because that's the way we've been told. Why do you pray, really? Is it to get things from God to get your will accomplished in heaven? Why do you pray? Why do you read the Bible? Why are you here this morning? Oh, well, it's Sunday. We always go to church on Sunday. Churches ought to always be open. We ought to be here. Really? Is that what it's all about? Checking it off? You don't have an envelope system. You have a mental envelope system. Or is it about being with Jesus? Is your prayer life about being with Jesus? Is your Bible reading about being with Jesus? You see, that's the crux of the matter, to know Christ, to love Him with all your heart. You see, Jesus is the captain of our salvation. We know that. Yes, Lord, you, you captained my salvation. You led me through the storm of sin, and, and I have been saved, and I'm going to heaven. But is he captaining? Are you allowing him to captain your life day after day? You see, he knows where you need to go, and he knows how to get you there got to welcome him on board. If you read the rest of Mark's account, you read that as soon as Jesus got into the boat, the winds and waves ceased. In another instance, when Jesus was already in the boat with the disciples during a storm, Jesus spoke to the winds and the waves and commanded them to be still. But here, in Matthew's account, he spoke no such command. The winds and waves just ceased when Jesus came on board. So here's the application. When we let Jesus on board of our lives, our church, our homes, that which at one time was an obstacle no longer stands in the way, and the direction in which we are to move becomes clear. But as our guide and head, Jesus overcomes the obstacles, and we find ourselves moving in the right direction and arriving 
at the right destination. Maybe not the ones you thought you should arrive at. Maybe not the path you thought you should go down. But when he is on board and when he's captaining your ship, then he's in charge. Matthew records that many, that as soon as they got to the other side of this lake, there were people waiting for Jesus to meet their needs. And he records that many just touched him and were made whole. I wonder how many people are needing a special touch from Jesus through your life and through your obedience, your faith. Christ wants to touch people in this city through you. And he's waiting for you and for me to follow him and to walk where he walks. You see, we've got to get out of the boat of human effort. Because human effort can't get us where we need to be. But Jesus can. We need to get out of the boat of human effort because human effort can't get us what we're trying to obtain. In John chapter 21, verse 1 through 6, this is after the resurrection. It says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, that is the Sea of Galilee. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, We're going with you. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Human effort. Seasoned fishermen caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of the fish. So here again, we need to remember that these were seasoned fishermen, highly skilled in their profession and familiar with the methods of catching fish and the best time to go. But after fishing all night, they came up empty. Then a familiar voice gave a familiar command, which they obeyed just like the last time. When was the last time? In Luke chapter 5, Peter said, Jesus said to Peter, Launch out into the deep for a catch. Peter said, Lord, we've been fishing all night. We've caught nothing. But nevertheless, Peter said, at your word, I will go. At your word, I will go. That's very important. It didn't make sense to Peter. He'd been fishing all night. That's the best time to fish. That they knew for, the sea, for that time of year and that lake, caught nothing. Peter said, Lord, it doesn't make sense for us to go back out again. But at your word, we will. So they went out and caught two boatloads full of fish. But this same thing almost happens a second time. They hear that familiar voice giving a familiar command, and they obeyed it just like they did the first time. And they caught a multitude of fish. By the way, Verse 11 of John 21 says, this is just a tidbit of information that I find interesting. They caught 153 fish. 
That's a pretty good haul. 153. When I was in Israel back in 2009, they told us how many species of fish are in the Sea of Galilee. Want to take a guess how many species of fish there are in the Sea of Galilee? 153. So perhaps they caught one of every species. Wouldn't that be cool? Because Jesus was demonstrating to them his power. And that when they obey his word, things work out so much better. Human effort can't get us what we're trying to obtain. Now, we're not out to catch fish. We're out to catch men and women and boys and girls. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And you know, too many people think that they know what to do and how to do it best. You know, we're seasoned veterans when it comes to doing church work, and, but without Christ, we're just spinning our wheels. We know what it takes to grow a church. We try all the tricks of the trade, but without Christ, we turn up empty. Jesus Christ is the head of this church, and just because something worked last year or five years ago or 20 years ago doesn't mean it's going to work in 2017. You've got to be willing to try something new. Two different occasions. I can think all throughout the scripture where, two, where, where people did the same thing in different ways at God's command. I thought of David. David said, Lord, shall I go up against the Philistines? God said, yes, but here's how you do it. David did it God's way, and he won. Second time, he went up against the Philistines. He could have just done it the same way he had done it before, which is what we do because it's safe, it's easy, it's comfortable. We don't have to pray about it because it was succeeded the first time, so let's just try it again the second time. And that's how traditions become law. But David didn't do that. He said, Lord, shall I go up against the Philistines? And God said, yes, but this time I want you to do it this way. And so he did it a completely different way, and it was successful. Two stories I just told you about fishing. The first time, Jesus said, launch out into the deep. The second time, he said, cast your net on the right side of the boat. Now, they were obviously not too far offshore. First time, they were out in the deep. Obviously, they weren't far offshore because they could see Jesus and they could hear him. So they were in the shallows. And Jesus just said, cast your net off the right side. But listen, folks, human effort will not get us what we're trying to obtain. Just because we've always done something that doesn't mean that's the way it always ought to be done. That's depending on human effort. Hey, we succeeded in the past like this. Let's just keep going. Let's, we don't even have to pray about it. We don't have to ask God about it. Let's just keep doing it. It's succeeded for hundreds of years. First question is, has it really succeeded? Or we just are comfortable with it. You see, the scripture says, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The psalmist said, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. It's time that we learn that Jesus knows better how to run this church and any church than we do. And we've got to depend upon him and look to him and ask him when we think we can handle it by ourselves, that we think we can do it better than Jesus, no matter how long we've been doing it, 
We can't do it better than Him. That's true in your own life, in your own work. It's time that we relied upon Him and followed Him, and we'll discover that we'll get where we're going and we'll obtain what we're really looking for. Lastly, and quickly, we've got to get out of the boat of fear and doubt. We've got to get out of the boat of self-reliance, and we've got to get out of the boat of casual affection. In John 21, in verse 7, it says, When Peter saw that it was Jesus, Simon Peter jumped, he took off his outer garment, and he plunged into the sea, and he was swimming to shore. There again, Peter's always getting out of the boat. Don't you want to be like Peter? You couldn't keep that boy in the boat. We're talking about a seasoned fisherman, a seasoned boatman, and he's always jumping out of the boat. Why was he jumping out of the boat? Why did he get out of the boat the first time? He wanted to get where Jesus was. We must love Christ unashamedly. He didn't care what those 11 disciples thought about him the first time, and he certainly didn't care what they thought about him the second time. I just want to be where Jesus is. He got out of the boat, and he loved Christ unashamedly. I think about Luke chapter 7, where that woman appeared at uh, the house of the Pharisee where Jesus was eating at, and she began to wash his feet uh, with that oil and her tears and dry them with her hair and, and, and kiss his feet, and, and that Pharisee, that legalist, said, what is this man, if, she, if he knew who this woman was, he, he wouldn't allow her to touch him. And Jesus perceived this man's thoughts, and he said, Simon, I've got something to say to you. He said, well, go ahead and say it, Lord. He said, well, since I showed up, you didn't do what's customary for a guest. You didn't wash my feet. You know, you didn't anoint me with oil. But since this woman's gotten here, she has not ceased doing these things for me. And he looked at the woman and he said, Woman, you're forgiven. And he told Simon, He who is forgiven much loves much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Now listen, I think we all have much to be forgiven of. But I think many people think they don't have that much to be forgiven of. And therefore, their love for Christ is shallow because they think they're good enough. But when you are overwhelmed and you realize the depth and the horror and the ugliness and the filth and the stench of your sin, and you realize that Jesus Christ has forgiven you of all that mass of, of iniquity that was in your life, what great love fills your heart. And you don't care what people think about the way you express your love to Him. And I say to you, dear church members, however you want to express your love for Christ, you don't worry about the guy or the girl sitting next to you. We must love Him unashamedly. We must love Christ unreservedly. The Bible tells us the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And in John 21, the rest of it, we read where where Jesus asked Peter, Simon, do you love me more than these? And I have to, have to consider that question this year anew and afresh, and you have to consider it too. When you look at everything that's in your life, 
Jesus is asking you this question, do you love me more than these? More than everything else that's around you. Not more than the person sitting next to you, because that's not what's it about. He's asking Peter, Peter, do you love me more than everything else? And he's asking us this morning, do you love me more than everything else in your life? Peter said, well, you know, and obviously we would answer the same way, Lord, yeah, I love you. And he puts it to us again, do you really love me? Yes, Lord, I do love you. And he puts it to us again, do you really love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. But it wasn't just casual affection. It wasn't just a a mental assent to, I have these wonderful feelings when I think about you, Lord. It was a committed love. You see, Peter had denied Jesus three times. He knew what it was like to feel completely separated from him, and he went out and he wept bitterly because he had, he had denied the one that had forgiven him. But Jesus graciously restored him here in this instance, and And he's asking Peter again the same number of times that Peter denied him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? We just sang that song, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And the phrase that touched me this time, even that song is so familiar, is his heart is kind. you believe that about your God? His heart is kind. He's not mean. He's not hateful. He loves you so much. And his greatest desire that we love him in return with all that we are. Let our hearts be geared toward him as his heart is geared towards us. Too many Christians, and I have to say too many times, I just have a casual affection for Christ. But he's not always the center of my life. But there are other things that take his rightful place in my heart in my mind. And I would say like Peter, yes, Lord, I love you. But I would have to honestly say, but not always without reservations. And so if this message isn't for anyone, it's for me. I want to get out of the boat. I want to love him unashamedly and unreservedly and more this year than ever. And I want to, I want you to as well. Jesus said to Peter, after asking him three times, do you love me? And after hearing three times from Peter, yes, Lord, you know I love you. 
Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Our love for Christ will lead us to love what he loves. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus looked upon the multitudes and he was moved with compassion because he saw that they were scattered like sheep without a shepherd. As I grow in my love for Christ, I will grow in my love for others. I will be moved with compassion. My heart will be moved for what moves his heart. And so will yours. We have to get out of the boat of casual affection. Christ is calling you out of the boat of fear and doubt into a glorious relationship of trust and obedience. He's calling you out of the boat of self-reliance into a miraculous experience of what he can do through you. He's calling you out of the boat of casual affection into a deep love relationship that will purify your heart and your motives for serving him. Peter got out of the boat during the storm because he knew Jesus would take care of him. He got out of the boat the second time because he realized how much he really loved Jesus and he wanted to be with him. Peter had to get out of the boat to get where Jesus was. So do you. What boat are you in? Fear and doubt? Self-reliance? Casual affection? Pride? Selfishness? Worldliness? Materialism? You want to get where Jesus is. You got to get out of your boat. Let's pray together.